What's up? I'm Kofi Outlaw, and welcome to Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I'm here with my host, Matt Matthew, Matthew Aguilar and wow. Janelle Wheeler. Hey, everybody. <laughs> What's up, everybody? I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> Off just to a great ex- start. Yeah, I know. Great start. I'm just <laughs> excited. This. this is the weekend. Zack Snyder's Justice League is now out there, and we have a lot of discussion, even though we did a special bonus episode breaking the movie down. We need to clean up some things and talk about some things with this movie still. And we've brought in a very special guest to help us do that today. So let's just go ahead and bring it in right now. Mr. Deathstroke himself, Joe Manganello. How are you? It's great to be here. Hey, Joe, how are you? I'm doing great. Just getting into it, like I said, Zack Snyder's Justice League is now here. It's out. Um, this past weekend has just been filled with the hype. For this film, fans seem to be loving it. At the same time, we've kind of come into the situation this week where it sounds like Warner Brothers, on top of this hype, is also kind of indicating that maybe we're not going to get more of what fans seem to be calling for from this kind of Snyderverse, as we're calling it now. Can you just tell us, how are you feeling in the midst of all this, now that the film is out, and everything and all the fan response to it? Well, I'm really excited. Uh, Number one, I I want to a big shout out to Zack Snyder for for including me as a part of Justice League this time around. You know, four years ago or you know, when it was released, um, I wasn't a part of Justice League. I was the villain in Batman. And we shot a scene that was going to be tacked on to the end of Justice League to debut my character and then preview what was going to happen in Batman. So I wasn't really a part of Justice League it wasn't my movie. So uh, getting a call from Zach four years later to put the suit back on and, and be a part of his Snyderverse, if you will, um, that was that was really cool. And I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that Zach had the opportunity to come back, and that's due to the fans and their support. So um, this is really an unprecedented experiment in the history of film where the fans' voice was heard. And uh, and here we have we have this this you know this epic superhero movie as a result. Yeah, there's one thing I want to ask you. We've kind of heard some kind of slightly funny stories about how you guys actually put together the new material that featured you for this version of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Can you talk to us about how you guys filmed that? Well, what funny stories have you heard? I think one, one <laughs> We've heard that it could have taken place at a unique shooting location, which could have yeah, maybe we, been we, your driveway. I, not in my driveway. We, uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we shot, uh, yeah, we shot in a secure location. It was all with COVID protocols. So it was um, the way you would imagine some sort of like hot zone military base where you know we had people coming to our houses to covid test us multiple times during the week then you show up there's a checkpoint you get covid tested again then you come in you take another rapid test uh and then you wait uh once you're cleared then you can go put the suit on and and get to work but we were all there together uh under covid very strict covid protocols 
Can we I just said, be honest? Kofi is just trying to get lat- latitude and longitude so he can go take a selfie in front of the place. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what's really happening right there. <laughs> yes, we'll save that for after the show in my uh, next <laughs> I'm sorry. I said it was your driveway. I We had heard it was Zach's driveway, not your driveway that this all took place in. Who said it was in Zach's driveway? That's funny. Uh, the internet, where apparently all things are always all real true. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned the Batman movie that you were original, originally a part of. And we wanted to ask you, because this cut, the Snyder Cut, actually leaves the door open for that again with your kind of post credit scene with uh, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor and kind of finding out who Batman is. Forget about what may happen. Can you just tell us what was it you guys had kind of played around with back in those original plans that kind of really excited you about the Deathstroke Batman project? Well, I want to say that that the scene that you see in this Snyder Cut is the actual scene that we shot. When Batman was canceled, uh, unbeknownst to me, they went in and, and, and put Jesse in a bald cap and shot him super tight uh, and changed all the dialogue to advertise a Justice League part two movie that, that I didn't know about. I didn't know, I thought the scene was cut. Once Batman was canceled, I thought, okay, well, we're just throwing that scene out and no one will ever see me as Deathstroke. But unbeknownst to me, the studio had uh, reshot it and ADR'd it to advertise this Justice League two movie. And I didn't know, I found out like two weeks before the movie came out. That I was bad. That I was back in. Um, so, so the scene that you see is actually the restored. That was originally what we shot. And sometimes when you when you change things that much or ADR them, they don't work harmoniously the way that they were intended to. The performance, the performances are kind of off, and it looks chopped and rushed. And that's what I thought the original scene um, really, really was. I was I was kind of disappointed in the original scene because uh, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't what uh, you know what was initially intended. So you you know the fans will get to see uh, what actually uh, you know the, the the original ending. Awesome. And what can you tell us about just what kind of things you and Ben Affleck back then were playing around with for ideas for that solo film? I know we may never see it, but uh, a lot <laughs> of people would like to know the what of you know what of could have should haves of it. Um, I've talked about it a little bit, um, and maybe that's what you're alluding to. But um, you know, we talked about Tim Miller's Arkham Origins. So shout shout out to Tim Miller, who's a buddy of mine. We actually just worked on a secret project together that uh, we'll probably I'll probably be able to talk about sometime next year. So maybe I'll come back. Nice. But, yes, uh, please do come back. So th- Tim's a buddy. We actually <laughs> met and bonded over his Deathstroke video, which is actually how he got the Deadpool movie. Uh, and then that was going to be a basis for what the combat was going to look like in the Batman film. So Ben and I definitely talked about that. Um, and then I read most of the, the Batman script as it was at the time when I was shooting justice league that summer, I was, I was, I read a bunch of it and I knew what was, what was going to happen in it. I don't know how much you want me to say about it. Anything I want to hear. I mean, as you heard, I want to hear all of it, obviously, as my co-host already outed me. I would love to sit and hear about this all day. So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it was um, it was the, the premise, as you can, it 
because you could kind of like infer from the the proper uh, Justice League end credit scene, um, Slade is summoned by Luthor, who uh, offers a peace offering of information to Slade. He knows that's so basically Slade had lost his son, and he blamed Batman for it. Batman had a hand in it. And uh, Luthor summons him to his yacht and gives him a key piece of information that Batman's secret identity is Bruce Wayne. So now he's setting loose this unstoppable force on Gotham City and Bruce Wayne. And the film, the Batman film, was going to be kind of similar to like, you know, imagine if David Fincher's The Game was real. You know, uh, one of my favorite movies systematically dismantles Bruce's life and starts murdering all the people in it uh, as he destroys his finances and uh, just basically paints him into a corner. Um, uh, uh, You know, and there was like a big, huge showdown, I think, between it was like Batgirl. Batgirl jumps in to try to help Bruce because Deathstroke is so fast that uh, he can anticipate Bruce's movements. And there was this huge fight in Gotham City um, where, where Batman is like, you know, uh, completely afraid because he realizes he's, he's met someone who can take him. And, um, and then that leads to this big climactic battle through the streets of Gotham City at the end. But, um, but it, yeah, it was like a real like psychological thriller where Deathstroke was kind of like, a, he was like a horror movie villain, you know, or like a shark, you know, kind of like, like Jaws. Wow. Wow. Let me just say, uh, let me just ask you as one final follow-up on that piece. Do you think that HBO Max, which seems to be, and streaming in general, which seems to be changing the game in a lot of ways right now, do you think some of those doorways that seem closed could get windows opened up now in this kind of shifting paradigm? Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I hold on to the hope that there could be a Deathstroke standalone. That was, you know, when, when Batman fell apart, um, the studio was uh, very much enthralled by all of the research that I was doing. I was starting to build the character out and pitch them ideas and uh, build a backstory and kind of build, you know, because um, I think a lot of times the, the comic book stories of Deathstroke are very, um, they're very far-fetched. You know, they're, they're very superhero-ish, you know, where... Deathstroke's holding a submarine over his head and throwing it, you know, and um, and I wanted Deathstroke to be human and grounded. And uh, and so I started with, you know, he was a part of the American military. OK, well, what part, what branch, what would he have done? Where would he have been? You know, what, what did what, what did his wife do? You know, I, I and then and then, of course, like the League of Shadows influence. And why does he carry a sword? And how do you learn how to use a sword if you're. You know, most military guys don't mess around with katanas. It's just not what they do. So <laughs> that part of the story needed to be built out. And so I was really grounding it. And they really, you know, they loved it. So I worked on that for six months. Um, you know, at the end of that six-month period, I wound up um, I wound up having a two-hour-long Skype call with Gareth Evans, which, you know, I've talked about before. And, uh, and Gareth then uh, entered into negotiations with the studio to make a, a, a like, stripped-down version of Deathstroke that was almost like imagine Deathstroke in the raid or the raid 2 a revenge oh, wow. film 
a revenge film with Slade, the mask, the patch, how he oh lost the eye, how he lost his son, you know, the whole the whole deal, but with, with Gareth Evans, uh, who, who is brilliant. And uh, one of my, you know, really just a, a favorite director of mine or somebody I, I dreamed of working with. So, you know, all of that, all of those tracks have been laid down. So, um, you know, it's all there. And I think it would really be a shame if, uh, if the fans never got to see that. I, I, would, I would go to my grave unhappy. Was the solo film at all built out of Zach's Justice League or was it just completely separate as its own standalone? Completely, completely, completely different. And, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it wasn't, you know, I don't think it was going to involve Batman or anything like that. It was just, it was how this character came to be. All right. That's all the old business. Let's move on to some new business. It's 2021. And you're coming back at us with a new film called Shoplifters of the World. What can you tell us about that? Well, uh, I'm a huge Smiths fan and, and always have been. And I read this fantastic script that was based on a true event or something that happened in Denver, Colorado uh, in 1987. Uh, word is that there was a Smiths fan who was so distraught over the breakup of the Smiths that he held up a his local hair metal station at gunpoint and forced the DJ to play nothing but Smiths music all night long to impress this girl that he was in love with. And so uh, I wound up reading a, a, a fantastic script uh, by uh, Stephen Kayak, who also directed the film. And uh, we wound up uh, pitching it to uh, Morrissey's camp, Johnny Marr's camp, and we wound up getting 20 Smith songs. The film includes 20 Smith songs, most of which have never appeared in film and TV. Wow. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I, I just want to take a minute to say your shirt is fabulous. We've gotten a lot of people in the chat commenting <laughs> on your shirt, and it's amazing. And it feels very indicative of this film that you're coming out with. So props, sure. it's awesome. fitting. Um, my one question, because I come from a music background, is did this role reflect your musical taste? Obviously, you just answer that. And what else were you listening to and rocking out to in the 80s? Well, in the eighties, I was I was pretty young in the eighties. Mm -hmm. So um, in eighty seven, I was uh, you know lots of old Van Halen, like David yeah. Lee Roth. Yes. Uh, you know uh, what else? I I mean, it, it, it's after nineteen eighty seven, but Appetite for Destruction changed everything for me oh as a kid. Uh, it would be like Doctor Feelgood. Um, and then once you get into the nineties, things really, really change musically for me and, and broaden. But, um, but yeah, in, if we're talking strictly eighties, then, then that's what I was listening to. That is awesome. Gosh, oh, we're so I excited. Ride the, ride the Wait, what was it? Metallica's Ride the Light. Metallica. They've also been on Twitch too, by the way. So that's pretty cool. Welcome to your, is this your first time on Twitch, by the way? No, I've, uh, no. done some, uh, AMAs on Twitch, you know, my, my streetwear line, Death Saves. So I've gone on and, and explained all of the art pieces that I've had uh, created for the line. And, and uh, so I've done that. And then um, and then I've like watched plenty of, you know, gaming on Twitch. I have friends of mine who work for League of Legends, for example. So we'll watch, nice. you know, whenever the new games come out, he'll come over and we'll throw it up on the movie screen and watch. That's awesome. All right. They're telling us we got to let you go. Joe, thank you so much for stopping by and talking with us. It meant so much uh, in this moment. Thank you again.
Sure. I could talk about this stuff all day. So thanks I, for having I me. could do. Don't tell me. We're going to have to come have you back on and just do a whole show with us at some point. And when we do, we will also talk some D&D. Because I want to talk, <laughs> I want to talk to you. I, 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 so, I could talk about that forever also. <laughs> so, yes, very much so. Thank you very much. Sure thing. Thanks a lot, Thanks, everybody. Joe. <laughs> Joe Manganiello, everybody. All right. That was Joe Manganiello, Deathstroke awesome. himself. Awesome guy. You guys, I, I don't usually use this platform to lobby for anything, but you guys need to get out there and get this Deathstroke project happening. Seriously, he's the perfect. Yeah. He um, is Deathstroke. Oh, I, he was really humble about it. But uh, if you go back and look, <laughs> Gareth Evans, the director of the raid, came, he left those meetings with one of us and said that Joe Manganello is the, as far as he could tell, the actor who is most prepared for his character that he's ever seen. Wow. The most research, the most thought development. So yeah, I mean, this guy is, Joe's ready for this role. He just needs the opportunity. HBO, what are you, Max? Warner Brothers, what are you doing? <laughs> we have to Here's see the thing. this. Yeah, let's Here's talk about thing. it. Let's talk uh, about it. That, that <laughs> premise, as as I mean, we're, we're Batman fans. There's a lot of Batman fans on this podcast. So oh, yeah. like some of those stories, like it had very like the big things of like Bane's whole storyline in there. Like that original story where like Bane kind of goes after him and all of his family. But we've seen that like dissected in different ways. Having that with Ben Affleck's Batman and his Deathstroke sounded cool. Like that actually was oh, like a project. Yeah. I actually was like, you know what? That, actually, <laughs> that sounds really dope. Yeah. And as someone who was looking forward to that movie, because at one point Affleck was writing that, directing yep. that, yep. I was looking forward to that movie. Like that that's was the one I was most jazzed about. Hey, that just takes me back to our first days together, Matt. That's what we were, <laughs> we were all psyched about in those impressionable days. But um, yeah, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to break down uh, some more of what's going on with the Snyderverse in the aftermath of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Then we got to talk about Marvel's release date changes for Black Widow and some other movies. And then we got to talk comics. And we have another interview with yeah, Justice yeah. League comic artist David Marquez that you guys also got to check out because that book is great and stunningly gorgeous. And we have questions for that. So a lot of Justice League to come still. Stay tuned. We're back. Okay, so we had Joe Manganiello on earlier, and he kind of let you guys know where he stands in terms of uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League and the Snyderverse. But uh, let's just get a quick update on what's happened here. So this movie came out, Zack Snyder's Justice League, over the weekend. Um, obviously, it was it was popular. I mean, if you judge just social media buzz and all of that, this movie was you know off the charts all over the place. And surprisingly, a lot of, I mean, a mainstream cro uh, crossover People who I didn't ever think would press play on this got on and press play, including Leslie Jones, which was hilarious with her uh, life. That was funny. That was <laughs> At the same time, Warner Brothers has kind of said that they're not going to be continuing the Snyderverse, uh, that this is the end. Uh, the exec, I forget her her name right now. I don't, I don't need to really say her name. Warner Brothers CEO Ann Sarnoff has kind of come out and said, I appreciate the way that they love Zach's work and we are thankful for his many contributions. We're just so happy, blah, blah. that's all, just whatever. With that comes the completion of this of his trilogy. We're happy we've done this, but we're excited for the plans we have. And then she goes to plug all the stuff they're going to be putting out in the future, right? So mm -hmm. Warner Brothers is still sticking. We were going into Justice League saying they can't stick to this cul-de-sac idea. They're going to have to budge on this, but they're not. 
Um, it doesn't look like they are. Just real quick going around because it's already now morphed. Release the Ayer cut has come out. Restore the Snyderverse is the next hashtag. Things are moving forwards. Do you guys think this can move the goalpost again? Do you even want it to? Or do you think we should be happy with what we got and kind of and, and just settle and just settle that? I'm gonna say, well, I don't think Zach needs to be directly involved in a major film project for DC. We can still have his ideas and influences, you know, spun off into other things. I now want to see this wonder this Amazon series he was gonna make. I want to see a Deathstroke project with Joe Manganiello, whether it's the solo film or they do an event series and somehow wrote Ben Affleck into just putting on the cow one more time for like six episodes of an HBO Max series and doing that whole thing with him. I, I would like to see these things progress. And if we're doing a DC multiverse, I really don't get the the game, like the the battle plan that says, no, we should leave some of this stuff out, especially our currently most popular thing. Um, but that's me. I'm a Snyder stand. You know, you got to always take what I say with a grain of salt. Matt, what are you feeling? Because you bring a more level-headedness to this whole. Thing. <laughs> I uh, I feel like look when I when I heard they were not pursuing the like, and when I say so, like Snyder versus is odd because it's such a mishmash. Because like technically Aquaman and Wonder Woman are part of that, right? But they've spun off into their own things, and those movies are so different. So it's they but they originated there right so i don't even know like technically what the snyderverse is in my mind the snyderverse is the like man of steel bvs and then the justice league part one and part two like those in concept and then whatever snyder has talked about kind of what he had plans for later so that that's how i kind of how i compartmentalize the snyderverse when i think about it and that part i'm okay like I, there are things in this in this one that I that actually found interesting and and I do kind of find that nightmare scenario interesting and would like to maybe see that pursued. Um, but like as far as that just kind of thing, I'm okay. Like if it, if it doesn't come back, but there are things in it I would like to explore. And I think in this, if you embrace this whole multiverse aspect, which is right in front of you, then why not? You know, just kind of have that going along with all the other things you have planned. It, it doesn't have to be an either or situation. What I will say is the spinoff things from that universe are like way more interesting. To me. <laughs> so like, mm -hmm. uh, I know Snyder was like talking about plans, like what he had like after, well, I don't know if you want to get into spoilers for like what was supposed to be in justice league two or not. Do you yeah, want go ahead. Go for I, it. Okay. So like, you know, Batman's supposed to sacrifice himself and like all that stuff happens. And then there's no Batman. And he's like, well, I was going to have Batgirl kind of fill that role for a while and then have like the child of uh, Clark Lois and Lois yeah. be the next Batman, right? And all these things. Some of that's interesting. I don't necessarily love each and every part of that, but like that stuff's interesting to me. Um, but again, like as a core thing, like I'm not like it's. I'm okay. Like I'll be, I'll be okay that like certain things don't continue, but it's a bummer that like it encompasses all of it because there's some really cool ideas that I actually would like to see. So. Yeah. J yeah. Kofi. No, no, go ahead, Janelle. Okay. So uh, I'm just going to say it right now, Kofi, I'm with you. I'm standing this all the way. Um, it is a huge, huge, huge loss if they do not decide to go into a little bit of the Snyderverse stuff. I think that it is time for them to stop trying to be Marvel 
be its own thing. Embrace what you, you started this, this, you started this, you went with this dark kind of, uh, not Marvel-esque, not for everyone vibe in the beginning, stick to it, just embrace what you've done and make the fans, the diehard fans happy and let this unit, like let this verse, the Snyder verse exist. Like there are so many fans of this and so many people that want it at this point, there can be a multiverse. There can still be a Robert, Robert Pattinson Batman universe, but there can also be the Snyder stuff. And I think that this was a beautiful example of making comics for the comic book movies for adults. They don't all have to be for children to go watch with their parents. Like I am a 35 year old woman who will go by myself to a theater and love this. Like I like this dark content. I think it's such a shame that they're even saying this. I don't know why they came out so quickly to just kind of like break their fan base spirit. I think that was really in poor taste. Like, and, and I'm frustrated. I am, I'm actually frustrated with Warner Brothers that they did this. The least you could have done is held your tongue, let us enjoy this moment and, and be happy about this and, and have a little bit of hope. Like we're excited about DC for the first time in a long time. Like it, it, we needed this um, as like a big Marvel fan myself in the movie and the films and now TV shows. Um, I have been, not, I've not been excited for anything DC. I've been like, yeah, it's cool, but I'm not pumped. I'm not like just raring to get back into the theaters for DC content. If the Snyderverse was restored, I would be, on the same level as my Marvel content, I would be just as excited. And so I think this was a big no-no for them to do this and they need to give us Deathstroke <laughs> and I'm pumped. Go off girl. Um, I'm, I'm about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm about it too. Um, yeah. I, I mean, people have, I'm going to address something said in the comments, like, yeah, I, I want to see a Zatanna movie. I want to see that justice league dark buildup. Eventually. <laughs> I don't want to see it more right now than I want to see that Nightmare Justice League get their own like little spinoff or something because that Nightmare League, as I call it, was was fantastic and it's yeah. crazy and it's nobody ever saw something like that coming and I would love to see more of that. I would love to see the Deathstroke angle kind of played out and and like with Ben Affleck's Batman. Like those are the things I want to see immediately. And I'm like you, Janelle. I love Marvel stuff, but there should be a thing for adult and even cinephiles. Yeah to kind of, you know, go over and Zack Snyder provides that. And I just don't understand. It feels like we went through 2020 and Warner Brothers didn't learn anything. Yeah. Um, I thought they were groundbreaking for doing this thing because they're figuring out like, hey, movies are changing. Streaming's changing it. We can put out four hour epics. We can do this like we talked about on the last podcast. But, uh, you know, here we are. But uh, it, it's all good. Um, yeah, I don't think you need to limit yourself. I don't know why they're doing this. Uh, somebody else in the comments kind of pointed out that you shouldn't force a company to change its plans. But I think one thing I want to just say before we move on is I, I've been doing this for about 12 years. And I could tell you from the time that I was doing this back when Marvel was just starting phase one, Kevin Feige learned a crazy big lesson, which is that you can make plans, but you also got to be flexible and you got to be ready to change them. You can't stick to them too hard. Phase one had problems going into phase two because the plans were so rock solid 
directors didn't have a lot of freedom. There were a lot of people they hired who wanted to kind of add their own flavor or twist to this. And they were like, no, we got to stick to the plan. And it's like, ever since then, uh, Feige will tell you about this. He learned he's got to collaborate more. He's got to hear new ideas. They got to be willing to let go, change ideas, see what the fans respond to, big one. And kind of, you, you think Black Panther would have been the first character out of that portal in Endgame if he hadn't been making a billion plus dollars, like right before that? Like, you know, things change and you got to kind of change with them. Uh, I feel like Warner Brothers is still in that early phase of just saying, okay, we made this plan. We released Snyder Cut. Now all our other plans are going to get, you know, are going to happen. We're just going to keep with those. But you got to be flexible. Like people came out, Snyder Cut, they probably had a bigger reaction than you thought. You need to absorb that, take some time, have some meetings and, you know, go with it. All right. I could do this all day, but let's talk about some other stuff because I know I'll exhaust Matt. I do this all day. I could do this all day. Talking about doing it all day in that Marvel reference. So we just got a, an update that Disney has shifted a lot of movie dates uh, and two are big Marvel movies that are changing dates. Uh, the first is, of course, Black Widow, which has changed dates from May to early July. And after all the debate of whether Black Widow would uh, hit theaters or be released on Disney Plus, Disney and Marvel kind of made the I don't want to make a decision decision and is going to release them in both. So July, Black Black Widow will be in theaters. It will also be released the same day, July 9th, on Disney Plus Premier Access, which means you got to pay 30 bucks if you have Disney Plus to see it at home. Um, Shang-Chi was supposed to come out in July. It's now been moved back to September. So uh black widow just kind of touching on this i feel like i don't know i feel like this is in some ways the worst of all worlds like <laughs> uh, you pushed it back again I- i'm really kind of uh, i don't know where things stand but i feel like things could be far enough along that you could have kept either that may date or a later date in may and still done pretty well or you could just release on disney plus premiere access in may uh and give it to us then and say okay we don't have you know, confidence in theaters. We'll do a theatrical release later. This is just kind of like a scatter. It's like putting your chips all over the roulette table and hoping for the best. And just, I don't, I don't even understand how this price structure is going to, uh, going to work, but I feel like by July, most of us are going to be ready to get back in the theater for something like a Marvel movie. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I even think, you know, may, I think, I think now we're ready. I'll wear a mask, like I, whatever it takes to, you know, make sure that we're, we get to see our film in the, in the theater. I, I'm one of those people. I feel like Disney is kind of, uh, maybe excited about this. I'm one of the people that's going to be like, I'm going to go watch it in the theater and I'm also going to watch it at home. So I like wonder if that, if they're kind of counting on that or I I will be doing both. You would pay theater prices, then go home and pay another $30. I would. Yeah. Because I've done nothing for a year. (laughs) I mean, you're a better consumer than me. I I mean, (laughs) if I go to watch it and pay theater prices and then I come home and I'm paying $30, I better have that movie for the rest of my life. Yeah. Not like the rental window before you. <laughs> I absurd. think, uh, I mean, truthfully, I mean, if I'm being truthful here, I barely want to see this now. No, like, yeah. I, like yeah. it's so like what I said when it's we like talked about Snyder Wonder Cut. Woman 1984 and was like, hey, that was right at the fringe for me of like almost like my anticipation was almost going away because it just had been delayed, delayed, delayed. And you keep getting amped up and then like, oh, no, we're pushing that eventually has that erosion of your enthusiasm is real. And for Black Widow, it has been done so many times. And I've said it on here, I don't know how many times. Like, I don't know why they waited so damn long. 
It was always going to be this. I don't know what planet they were on where they thought, oh, hey, <laughs> we're going to be able to like the floodgates are going to open. And like there's just like still the two big markets, you know what I mean, are still just slowly coming. Like it's not it was never going to be that. And they and they kept like just and with all their movies, aside from like one or two, they did this. And finally, it was like, OK, we need to we need to get this out. And we need to start the train so we can get all the other movies out. And so we need to go ahead and do this. I, I think the $30 is like, good Lord. Like, <laughs> I just, I already pay, like, technically, I already pay for Disney Plus. So I'm already paying something. So the fact that you're now wanting me to pay another 30, like, 20 is kind of my ballpark of like, okay, that's feasible. That's two tickets, you know, about whatever. 30 is a bit much, but even that is okay. But this should have been done like a, Six months ago. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. why did you wait? Just do it then. There were still people going to some theaters then. And you would have still had some bank coming from that. But here, it's just like, it's like what Kofi said. It's kind of like, you know, like a fart in the wind. It's like, well, why didn't you, <laughs> why did you, why did you wait so long? It's just such a dud. So anyway, I, I'm really not, like, I'm not going to a theater to see Black Widow, really, because I just don't care anymore and it's sad because i did i was i was interested in this movie and i've been interested in this movie for a long time but i could just not care less like i'm ready to just like get the movie out watch it move on let's just move on oh we've got a muted oh, kofi kofi i muted myself i want to talk about what sir nasty our commenter sir nasty just said he has kids he said he'd happily pay uh thirty dollars for the Disney Plus experience at home as opposed to paying like a hundred bucks to go to a theater. That's I have true. kids. I get that too. What I think we're saying is if you're going to do that, like we would have wanted Black Widow before now, like yes. before July. Like if we're doing that, like, yeah, if I'll pay you the 30 bucks. Yes. I could have used this last year, earlier this year, right now, <laughs> like anytime before July, making me wait to like, I'm anticipating this, like, Hey kids, by July, we're going to sit down and get Black Widow for $30 at home. Like by then I'm going to be like, Get your asses out of the house. Go somewhere. Like, don't sit here with me. Like, I don't want to be sitting here with you. Like, it's just late in the game for that, I feel like. I feel like it's missing the prime window for when people in mass would have paid that $30. And I get it. You want that theater profits. But like I said in our comic book chat yesterday, unless Black Widow reveals that all of Russia is scrolls who are working for Mephisto, there's nothing <laughs> in this movie that I want to see so bad. Oh, my God anymore it's like, true yeah. but that's it that's the key word anymore it's not that i was looking forward to this and i know you were too like mm -hmm. we were jazzed about black widow but like it's just been so long and agreed unless there is just some monumental shift in the mcu because of this i'm going to watch and go like oh okay that was good like, to be honest, like, I'm sure ScarJo is kicking herself for even signing up for this because she could have been done with this all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then she got roped into this thinking, oh, I'm going to finally get my due and like my solo film. And it's just been a debacle. But right now, I mean, let's just all be honest. This thing is set in the past. Everything is moving on. We're now getting psyched about like what's going on in Falcon and Winter Soldier and all this stuff. The only reason that we need to see this film is to figure out how Yelena, like how Florence Pugh's Yelena becomes a new Black Widow. That's about it. That's about all we need from mm -hmm. this, right? Going forward and to learn there's possibly some other super soldier program, serum, whatever out there. That's about all the real big reveals I can think of. We already know we're going to see Black Widow in Hawkeye. So we already have that anticipation coming up. And I don't got to pay anything for that. 
the the new Black Widow. <laughs> and we're already and getting we get the Kate Bishop. Yeah, and we're getting the new kind of status quo of the espionage world from Falcon and Winter Soldier. So, like, yeah, I mean, it kind of missed the window on relevancy here. And, yeah, I feel bad for everybody involved with that film because I'm sure it's going to be good. And I'm sure it's going to kick butt, but it's just going to feel like a thing I wish I was watching last year. Yeah, that's literally what the chat is saying. J.W. Jordan says Disney would have made so much more money if they would have done this at the same time Tenet came out. So they could have had it both ways as well. And people would have paid $30 back. It last November, we were all so hungry for it. So yeah, yeah, those are Absolutely. dark times. I definitely. <laughs> and by the way, I saw the I saw the comment about the like careful about these opinions. Uh, look, I was one of the people, and I think I did it on this show. I can't remember when, but I'm one of the people that was like Hawkeye should have died instead of Black Widow. <laughs> I was robbed. No, no, I they can't cancel you. You're you're yeah. you're way I too was consistent on that to be Black canceled. Widow <laughs> and so no, Hawkeye should be gone. And but at the same time, it's just a matter. It's not a matter about the quality of the movie. It's about just the time frame delays. And it felt like anyway, Disney's reluctance to go this route yeah. with yeah. a major release. So anyway. All right. Moving on from that. Matt, tell us <laughs> what do we got going on in comics this week? Let's talk alien. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, OK, so I'm, I'm going to admit Wait, I am. Pause. In- we got to do a whole shift. OK. Going to Marvel's Alien. All right, here we go. We're going to go Alien. Um, so, yes. So, of course, it was big news uh, relatively recently, actually. Uh, these are coming out pretty quick uh, that Marvel got the license to Aliens and Predator. So there is also a Predator series coming later on. And hopefully at some point, the inevitable crossover. But for now, uh, this is the first one of those. And this is just focusing on the Aliens. Now, as a, I will self-admit, I am not the biggest like I don't, I don't know timelines and continuity for aliens. That's not something. It's, I, it's it's pretty simple for what they're referencing. You don't have okay. to. I mean, the whole messy bigger franchise. You don't really gotta connect to. Mm-hmm. All you okay. gotta know is Prometheus and Alien Covenant took place years before the first Alien. Uh, the Alien takes place a couple years before Aliens because they go back and settle on that colony where they first got the Alien, like idiots, and then a whole <laughs> bunch of people die in the second <laughs> film. And yeah, and then this picks up like some odd 20 years after. Yeah, okay. So I didn't know if I was missing certain things when I was reading because I'm just, that's just not my my bag. But I was interested to see what they do because I always look at it as like, maybe they can hook me. Maybe this will be the thing that kind of gets me into this universe. Um, For me, uh, I enjoyed this. Uh, It's not, wasn't my favorite, you know, issue of of a comic, but like I enjoyed it. I, I thought the strongest parts were actually the stuff that, you know, had nothing to do with aliens. It was kind of the father son, you know, discord that was happening. There were some interesting ideas. Um, of course, obviously we are going to get into spoilers here. So spoiler warning, I, I haven't really touched on anything big here, but uh, going forward, we might hit some. So FYI. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, this was like a weird Salvador La Roca did this book. And I typically am a, a big fan of his work, but this was kind of I don't know. I didn't. I didn't love this as much as I love some of his other stuff. It so was, I was kind of meh. That was kind of meh on this. But what do you think? It, it reminded me of like Wild Storm Laroca when he gets with certain inkers. There's just like this weird, almost like CGI quality to yeah. like his humans. It's kind of uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, I think this mirrors what we'll be talking about next week with Godzilla versus Kong in a weird way because the human story. I was just kind of like, eh. But you know, the intrigue with the aliens and the actual monsters kept me hooked. Um, the main character, uh, I forget his name, like uh, Alejandro, I think it is. Uh, anyway, the security chief 
from the thing, whatever's going on with him and the backstory of his mission and what this darkness is creeping yeah. his head is interesting. The stuff with him and his son is not so interesting. Hmm. Um, the stuff with the son in the rebel group is interesting and how the book ends with them kind of screwing themselves in this lab facility and releasing the aliens is very interesting. Now I want to see where this goes. Um, I think this will be messed up in the horror sci-fi sense of this guy because it's already alluded that he lost one son possibly to the xenomorphs and now his other son looks like it's in pretty dire situations. So either he's going to, it's a cliffhanger that makes you think he's going to get got by a face grabber. I don't know if that's going to happen. I think it's going to be a lot of the father trying to save the son. Um, and that will be an interesting kind of hook. But in terms of Marvel taking alien and making the creep and the dread and the kind of horror of it, I, I, I'm kind of here for that. I like it. And I liked the promise of that, even if this first issue was slow. I mean, these kinds of movies and alien movies are always slow because you got to get into the human grounding and all that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, now that we're in space, I hope we don't spend any more time on Earth. Earth is like the last place. I, unless there's going to be invaded by aliens, I don't want to see Earth. Like, get the father off of Earth, back up into the space colony. He's yeah. sick, he's dying. He's got to face the xenomorphs again, possibly save his son. That's a story I want to see. Yeah, I I, agree. I will say that while the humans in this book were kind of all had that weird quality. The actual xenomorphs looked cool. I will yeah. say that there's a big splash page that is actually pretty, pretty dope. Uh, Janelle, yeah. what'd you think? Uh, you know, you guys summed this up really, really well. Uh, I also don't have a ton of background as far as context with alien, but I've seen every movie. I just have only seen them one time. So I don't have a ton of knowledge, but I do love sci-fi a lot so just by nature, I was really into this. Like from the very first page, I was hooked. I was ready to go and really excited about where it was going to take me. Um, and I thought they did a really good job of humanizing, uh, you know, the story with the father and son aspect. And then also just being terrifying with the aliens, uh, with the flashbacks, and then also with the cliffhanger that we were left on. So I, for me, like this is definitely something I'm going to continue to read. I can't wait to see where this goes. I think they did a, a pretty great job. Obviously like it's not my doctor strange. <laughs> I have to mention him always, but I really enjoyed it. I, I got it. I wasn't confused. Um, and it was easy to follow and I'm pumped to see where it goes. Yeah. There's a lot of optimism on this. This is good. I yeah, really so liked cool. this one. I well, was pumped when you get, when you sent it. I was like, "What alien? No way!" It was very much out of my comfort zone. Yeah, <laughs> Jazz, I was really excited. We got a commoner, Jazz Crab. Um, Jazz Crab. Nobody's trying to replace the Dark Horse universe. Nothing can replace the Dark Horse universe. Like if you're a '90s kid like me, Dark Horse universe is always going to be the comic universe where they, they had dark horse had the license to a bunch of genre properties like alien terminator robocop and they did awesome classic stories uh in the dark horse line for all of those books and, and for all those properties and yeah man nothing's gonna beat dark horse dark horse could do stuff that just like a, a publisher like marvel's never gonna go do some dark horse there. got yeah. me onto the star wars books yeah. i loved those things like, i loved so the, so many of those stories and then they all got wiped because they don't exist anymore in the expanded whatever Star Wars calls it, its expanded universe or whatever. They don't exist anymore. That bummed me out. But I, yeah, Dark Horse did some great. Yeah, we're not trying to compete. Stuff. We're just happy to have yeah. Alien in a comic. We're, we can't get back to Dark Horse. Yeah. yeah. All right, Matt, what was our other book? All right. The one I really want to talk about oh, yeah. uh, is uh, Batman White Knight Presents Harley Quinn number six. Uh, we've talked about this book before. Uh, I am I am an unabashed fan 
I will admit uh, this was the conclusion to this current spinoff series. Uh, I have no idea if we're going to get more. Please, to Lord, hope so. Uh, so for me, uh, this, again, this issue is one of those things where it like, packs all the things I love about the series overall. It's those heartfelt moments uh, with Harley and some of the GTO uh, and some gr- amazing stuff with Batman, even though he's not on screen. <laughs> he, does, he, does, he appears in like two pages, but his, his uh, effect is felt throughout uh, the book. And there's just a great dynamic there. We get a flashback. Uh, to Joker and and kind of what spurred her Harley leaving him and and again that stuff was additive it it didn't just feel like oh we just want an excuse to shoehorn Joker in here it felt like it contributed to part of the story uh, you know the villain was focused on as the villain yes there's stuff about the past and this whole son mother thing but like she was the villain we didn't have to kind of dive into it. the focus was on Harley uh, and that suit and how she comes about to be like really a part of the GTL. There's just so much in this issue that I adored. Uh, it's gorgeous too, by the way. And also if you're a Batman 1989 fan, well, number one, you'll probably love the white Knight universe. Cause he always uses that Batmobile in like every single, that Batmobile is used throughout the entire series. Um, but yeah, so I, I just adored this. Uh, I had all the feels at the end <laughs> and uh, you know, I was, I was still, I want more of this. This is my favorite Harley Quinn. So, yeah, uh, that new me. suit, that new suit, though. Man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, good. Harley Quinn getting her own Batman-inspired suit with the black and the white and the yellow. Yeah, that was in the hammer that changes size. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what are you going to do with that little mallet? She's like, hold up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, it oh. was it was really good. Um, Yeah, Sean Murphy has really, I mean, done something with this kind of white knight verse or whatever you call it mm-hmm. uh yeah it is one of them i mean it has become its like own full-fledged batman universe and rightly so there are just great stories and he walks a great line i think between what we're talking about justice league and snyder cut and all this stuff of making something that's still very comic booky but still more of an adult level like mm-hmm. that final split like splash page said it all it's like you know, male superheroes like end and like they're just in their cave brooding, like looking at stuff. And it's like Harley Quinn's doing that, taking care of two pets, two kids at the same time and running a career like and it's like and she's like, I got this. And like, that's her big victory. Um, Yeah, this was a great series. And we've seen like between Future State, this them trying to evolve the character in Joker War and give Punchline a new role, like and do all that. Like this has been the best, quietly the best version of Harley Quinn in the last year that DC has put out besides the animated one. I love that too, but uh, yeah, it's a great yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I just beautifully said, I love Harley so much. I absolutely adore her in this. Um, and I, Personally, the backstory with Joker was very powerful for me. I actually liked that more than the, the, the main storyline um, with the director and everything. I cannot imagine them not, going forward with the director and giving us more content because they even referenced like, this isn't over, you know, he's gonna be out there doing more. This wasn't a one man job. Um, so I could definitely see this continuing on. I hope it does. Um, if anybody is kind of new to comic books, like I'm kind of your, I'm your buddy, I'm your pal. Like we're new to reading comics in general. This is a very easy read, even if you have just limited uh, knowledge in the comic book history of Joker, Harley, um, and Harley's even relationship with Batman. It's a really great series to read. I actually read five and six last night because I had fallen behind and reading them stacked like one after the other. It, it's such a good read. Um, 
And yeah, I just, I highly recommend it. Really great book. Love the hyenas. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I want to hug them. I just got a new puppy. And when she gets a new puppy, I literally like, I, I kind of like got teary eyed. I'm like, oh my God, it's my puppy. I was just so excited. Um, and it's, you know, even the, the hyena is heroic in it, which is really exciting. So definitely think that this is a must read. I really do. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, so that is uh, comics. Of course, uh, this universe has uh, two other main series and uh, I think like two one shots, I believe. Um, one on focusing on Mr. Freeze and the other two kind of tell the story of like Jack Napier and his battle, like how we got here, how the universe kind of got to this point. And they're also very good. Um, but this has been by far my favorite uh, of all of them. So yeah, fingers crossed. Hope to see more. Uh, Katana Collins and Sean Murphy uh, and Mateo Scalera have done amazing work here. So hope to see more. So that's comics. Oh, but is that's it? Not comics. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because we have an interview. We talked, of course, about Justice League number 59 last week. Uh, and we actually, uh, as I have said, I am a, a fan of David Marquez's work. And uh, I think the art is one of the strongest parts of the issue. Um, so of course we got to talk to him for a little bit all about the issue. Of course, spoilers coming for the issue and a little bit of teases of like what's to come in the series and working with Brian Michael Bendis. So we definitely have that queued up. So well, in- before you throw, there's one more question. Patrick Dooley asked us after the Snyder cut, who's better, Marvel or DC? Nice try. You're not gonna get us. We're not going down that rabbit hole today. Instead, Matt. We want to see you talk with uh, Mr. David Marquez of Justice League. Matt Aguilar here from comicbook.com. And today I have the esteemed pleasure of talking to David Marquez of DC Comics. How are you? Doing well, man. Doing well. Exhausted like everyone else, I'm sure, but doing all right. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> my, my child just uh, figured out how to walk over the last, like, week. So Congratulations. Awesome. I, it, is, it is great. But as they say, right, it's like once they level up so to speak they then can get into all kinds of other things so i'm tired <laughs> so i didn't understand but uh yeah so i'm excited to talk to uh to talk about justice league uh, justice league number 59 kicks off a whole new arc and series with you and brian michael bendis um so just to get people kind of up to speed if they're if they haven't been keeping up with the core series or coming out of future state coming out of future state what is uh just a quick primer on this Justice League team and kind of what the mission statement is, where they find themselves. Yeah, sure thing, man. So we are trying our best to make this a any reader friendly book. Um, I mean, oftentimes, because you can phrase as new reader friendly, we also want people who are, you know, thoroughly invested in the history of DC Comics um, to feel at home in it as well. So it's 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 a you know big ask, but um, so for us, we're opening with. A kind of a mix of traditional Justice League lineup and a few new faces. Um, so uh, from the images people have seen online, uh, the lineup as a whole is uh, Superman, Batman, um, no Wonder Woman. That's because of where things end up kind of after uh, the end of Future State, which um, if people who've been reading the Wonder Woman books, they'll have a good sense of kind of where she fits into the current, the current DCU. Um, you have Aquaman and Hawkgirl. Those four are kind of like the main traditional carryovers for the team. Um, 
we have Flash in a uh, Barry as a guest starring role, although he ends up showing up in every issue I've drawn so far. Um, so he's, you know, uh, Brian made the joke that if he was on a TV show, the agent would be pushing him to be brought in as a regular because, you know, he, he's basically throughout our, our entire story thus far. Um, and then the three major additions that we're bringing in to the story and uh, I don't know how much I should call them like part of the team as opposed to they are part of the story that is happening in Justice League um, is Black Adam, um, Naomi, and Hippolyta, Queen Hippolyta. So our goal really with this specific lineup is trying to give the Justice League or more or bring the Justice League face to face with the question of when we are trying to pursue justice, justice for whom, right? Uh, and it's very easy for the Justice League, I think for all of us who, who are traditionally reading the Justice League, to think of them as just kind of like a very um, comfortable thing representing our lived experience as Americans, right? And we're wanting to really kind of broaden the horizons of what the Justice League is supposed to represent um, outside of the traditional uh, bounds of, of what, how we've seen them. So uh, Black Adam being someone who has so often been portrayed as a villain um, brings a different perspective to needs of people around the world. Condock being a really good example of that because in addition to being traditional nemesis of uh, Shazam, obviously he is also the ruler of Kandak and that country uh, is facing a brand new threat um, and that plays a really huge role launching off the, uh, the story. Naomi brings a very different perspective as being a young character, whereas traditionally the Justice League are, it's, it's the pantheon of the DCU. These are the established heavy hitters and she brings in a completely different perspective. Um, and when you have her contrasting with Black Adam, uh, that conflict or that, that juxtaposition is really kind of what drives the core of our story forward. Um, and then there's a glaring ob absence of uh, Diana, of Wonder Woman on the team. And Hippolyta has a lot of questions about that and uh, wants answers. So she comes in and, you know, uh, saying too much would bring in spoilers. So I won't go too, too much into it. Um, but we're trying to bring in differing perspectives uh, to uh, just the beyond what readers have traditionally seen long answer but no 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 it's perfect because that actually sets up <laughs> next question because because it is such a unique mix of like heavy hitters like icons and then also some fan favorite characters like you know ollie and dinah and one of my personal favorites hot girl i, mm -hmm. I love that character oh of course i completely left out green arrow and and, and black canary people are gonna skewer me online yeah no no there's yeah. a lot of people there's a lot of people but like those you know kind of fan favorites and also now we have of course black adam naomi and apalta and so you know you talked a little bit already about um black adam and naomi's kind of interaction you know was there another uh dynamic that kind of surprised you just kind of as you were working on the series um and is there you know one of those that you just really by the end of it just ended up loving more than you planned to uh, I mean, the easy one to say is Black Adam as a whole has been really surprising for me. He's a character that I haven't spent a ton, ton of time with before. You know, I've, I've read stories with him in it here and there, but I haven't really done a deep dive uh, until 
I started kind of prepping for drawing this book and I went back and then read a bunch of Black Adam stuff and really got into the character, especially like the stuff Jeff Johnson's have done over the last 10 years with him. Um, one of the cool things about a team book is the contrast you get when you bounce, when, when you force two people into a room and make them interact. Uh, a team book isn't always about having all of your players on the field at the same time talking to each other. You also have opportunities to take them apart and have them interact in new and unique ways. And we, throughout, you know, the opening arc, this happens a bunch of different times with different pairings or, or, or you know, larger subgroups kind of forced by whatever's happening in the story to solve a problem on their own or face, you know, history they have or, or differences of opinion that they have. Um, and Black Adam has a number of these where you kind of really get to see the depth of his character. One of the cool things about a character like Black Adam is, uh, and this is something that I've been saying in a few different interviews, like the best villains are the ones that don't see themselves as villains and who we as the audience or as the reader actually empathize with, you know, like Killmonger in, um, uh, Black Panther is a great example of this. It's a character where like, you get where they're coming from. You don't necessarily agree with their mode with, with the, maybe you get them at the very beginning and you understand why, why they're so angry. It's you lose them kind of further down the line. Yeah. Um, with Black Adam, he is a very, you know, complex character and getting to see his perspective on the way the Justice League operates really casts an interesting light on the decisions that these really powerful characters make. Um, and sometimes that they aren't taking all the factors, you know, into, um, into consideration, but uh, you know, beyond that, beyond just you know, black Adam and the way he's interacting with everybody, I think that Superman is a character that there are a billion different takes on, on, on how to write Superman. Mm -hmm. Um, Superman to me is just kind of like he's the person that everyone can or should feel comfortable and safe with. Um, and generally speaking, if Superman is making a moral argument, he's probably right. And that's kind of put into an interesting kind of twist uh, in the beginning of our story because ultimately he's the one that brings Black Adam into the Justice League, or at least he brings, him, brings Black Adam to the Justice League as an ally in the fight they're having. And this is one of the first times that the rest of the team are like, what are you thinking? This is Black Adam. How could this possibly be the right decision? But it's you, Superman is the one who's telling us to do this and or that this is the right thing to do. He's usually right about these kinds of things. And so he's put in a position where he's kind of stepping out on a limb and making decisions that is a decision maybe he wouldn't have made six months or a year or two years before, but something happens and he changes his perspective. And he's like, in many cases, he's maybe a step or two ahead of where the other characters are. And that then sets up a new interesting kind of like, you know, secondary tertiary degree of, of conflicts within the dynamic of the Justice League. So again, even talking about Superman, it boils back down to Black Adam. So uh, he's really kind of the, the, the initial touchstone that starts changing the way the, the Justice Fantastic Four, I was gonna say, I don't know why, the Justice League and how they operate. Um, and it doesn't stop there. I mean, in every issue, there's a new interesting dynamic and contrast between characters that is a lot of fun to play with. So again, well, long answer, but. No, no, this is great. Cause you know, one of the things I actually really, um, and you know, I, I've said this about your Superman, right? There's a, 
um, like this just casual badassery to the the character. And likewise with Black Adam, it, it's very easy and, and there's so many takes on the character, not as many as Superman, but there's a lot sure. of takes on the character. And a lot of times they kind of, you know, go into like caricature territory. He's either overtly evil <laughs> or he's, you know, this grimacing, curmudgeonly right. character all the time. It's a, it, There's very rare that you're going to find something in the middle. It's one extreme or the other. And, right. and here he's not. And in fact, he's, he's very, um, you, you see a wide range of emotions as emotional as he gets as, as right. personal as he gets but you see a wide amount of those and there's even a great sequence where he's like talking to someone you know who lives in his country like there's all these you see a lot of interesting facets and when you're you know when you're creating him is there something you're avoid you would kind of go out of your way to avoid some of those tropey things yeah i mean i'm always challenging myself on you know on the art side to bring across subtlety in the way my, my characters act. And I'm not going to say I always nail it, but um, it's rare. I think it's more interesting when a character is having more than one emotional reaction to something, right? Mm -hmm. um, and trying to bring that across the art is very difficult. So like even with, with someone like Black Adam to make it more concrete, you know, it's, he's always arrogant, but it's arrogant on top of other stuff. Is it, you know, it's arrogant, but he's uncertain. It's arrogant, but he's disgusted. He's arrogant, but he's offended. Um, he's arrogant, but maybe he realizes he was wrong, right? And those kinds of of, of really subtle, but but uh, important contradictions or pairings. Again, uh, think about the way characters kind of pair up, the way the emotions also pair up is is, is uh, it provides depth and nuance, hopefully, to story. Um, the same, you know, line of dialogue with different facial expressions can mean completely different things. Um, and so trying to bring that richness to the story and to the characters and to the character like Black Adam specifically, um, it's, it's, it's challenging, but that's where I as an artist have a lot of fun. Um, I, I've joked in the past that like when I'm drawing, I make the craziest faces because I'm almost like trying to act out what I want my characters to be doing on the page as I'm drawing it. Um, and, uh, I don't know what my face looked like when I'm drawing Black Adam, but I'm having a lot of fun with that. Yeah, you need to have like a camera set up, taking like <laughs> selfies like every couple of minutes just to see, just for your own, like a flip book at the end of it. So you can <laughs> it needs to be a thing. Um, you know, you have worked with, of course, uh, Batman Superman on that series. And, you know, you, you've already worked with those two characters a lot, just kind of bouncing off each other. And now kind of coming into Justice League, is there something that, you know, you've kind of learned about that dynamic or something that you've tweaked and changed along the way as far as like how you approach them as characters and how they're even just from uh, their dialogue choices or just the way they maneuver around each other. It, has there something that you've kind of taken from that? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if I can nail it down to like one specific, you know, thing for each character, but I was very fortunate that I got to cut my teeth in the DCU on a book like Batman Superman, getting to play the two biggest toys in, in, in the toy box and uh, start to learn my way around them. And um, I feel like Superman came fairly naturally to me. I feel like Batman is a character that I'm always tweaking and changing the way that I draw him just in terms of like, 
you know, there are a number of very kind of definitive silhouettes that Batman has, or the way he draws ears and things like that. And in terms of, of starting with just that concrete of how do you draw the character, my Superman, I feel like, hasn't changed too much. Uh, my Batman is kind of always kind of changing here or there. But the bigger lesson that I, I took away from it is Superman and Batman have a very obvious contrast in, in terms of posture, in terms of, you know, Superman is smiling and charming and friendly and kind. And Batman is always suspicious and skeptical and doubting um, and is always trying to figure out the angles, you know? Um, similarly, like in the Justice League, I take, you know, what I learned from trying to, to learn how to draw that contrast initially in Batman and Superman to now you have to do it to nine characters. Um, and try to have nine characters all not only i mean obviously they look different because their designs are different but you know they they smile they smirk they grimace they you know they, they sit they stand they crouch differently than the other characters do and trying to make sure they're they're even if you couldn't even if they're just silhouetted out and you couldn't see the details of their costumes i would hope that a reader would be able to kind of pick out from the way they're carrying themselves um that you know oh that's aquaman that's green arrow that's black canary you know um i'm not sure that i've seen like a huge evolution in terms of the way that i'm presenting batman and superman compared to how i drew them initially but i'm always trying to make sure they're contrasting with each other because again Drama comes from conflict. Interesting stories come from conflict and contrast. And on a team book, especially, you have to have it, or else you just have, you know, seven or, or nine characters that are all just ciphers for each other. That's that's not interesting. That's boring. You know, um, not saying I always nail it, but I'm always trying trying to bring that across. No, absolutely. And you know, nine people is already a lot. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a lot of people. However, I have to ask, just with yeah. so many different. DC characters out there and you know I guess one was there a character that was discussed between you and Brian early on as like being part of maybe this team and then just kind of cut out just because it didn't really fit yeah I mean we went through a bunch of I mean, a little bit round roundabout way of getting to your getting to, to the answer so when we first started talking about this um and we have bouncing this, the idea of doing this book together for a while. Black Adam was always going to be on the team from the beginning. And that was just because uh, we knew that for, from, from DC, you know, higher ups on down, this is a character that a lot of people were really invested in seeing have a bigger role in the DCU. Um, not the least of which because, you know, The Rock has been playing him in a movie pretty recently. Pretty Makes soon. a lot, Rock. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and so they didn't want to, to feel forced or artificial, but it's kind of like, you know, if you can make this guy work, that'd be really cool. And so we all thought about it. And my, my initial reaction was like, really Black Adam? I mean, like, is that really the kind of character you want? And so it took me, took, I took some convincing on it. Um, and uh, as it is now, as I've already said, like I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to have him now on the team and he's one of my favorite characters to draw. In those initial conversations of, well, who would we build the, what would the team be? Who, what would be the center of it? Who, who could we, you know, build this around? 
um originally we were, weren't even sure if we would have like superman and batman on we had no idea what the lineup was going to be and so we went through lots of different permutations of what the team could look like and ultimately we settled on you know having a core of the traditional characters um with other characters kind of either brought in to be permanent members or kind of rotating in as the story you know uh, leads or dictates now some people who didn't make the cut um, I really want to drift around the team. I know it's really out, out of left field. I'm an old school Wildstorm like a fanatic. And um, pretty much everyone was kind of like, eh, I don't think he'd really fit in this story. And you know, I fought for it, but ultimately they were right. And this is a really good example of, uh, and first of all, like I don't think many people love Grifter as much as I do. This is purely like a selfish ask, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, having the right characters for the right story is really important. And um, so, you know, we talk about other characters. Uh, we, we wonder whether, you know, uh, uh, Zatanna should be on the team, but ultimately it's like, well, really what, what Rom is doing in Justice League Dark, she fits in much better there. Yeah. Um, and this isn't to say that characters can only be in one place at one time. One thing that a lot of, of, of us on the creative side will talk to each other about is, is you know, making sure that we don't feel as if we're, we're keeping the toys away from other people when there's a good opportunity for both people to use the same character but also we don't want to be messing up what another you know creative team is doing if what we're doing conflicts with what they're doing so there's a balancing act there um you know there is no green lantern on the team currently and that's because we would be messing up stuff that's going on elsewhere if we if we, we brought um, one of the green lantern characters in um not to say that there wouldn't be any kind of you know green lantern stuff at some point down down the storyline but as people will read the books they'll start to see where opportunities either are or aren't why you know a green lantern is or isn't on the team that'll make sense as people start reading the books as they're coming out this year um anybody else uh i mean again we had a list of probably 20 or 30 characters that we went through in terms of you know here are a bunch of people who are traditional members of the justice league here are characters that haven't been used a lot recently here are characters that you know brian loves or i love and I think we ended up with a really nice kind of uh, rounded out represent representation of the different corners of the DCU. And as the stories move forward past this first arc, you know, the, the, the team will be going pretty far afield from their traditional haunts and there'll be more opportunities than to bring in characters from different parts of the DCU, both to be a part of the team or just to be allies. Um, and all of this, though, kind of goes back to the idea of, like I was saying, kind of towards the beginning of, of our chat, that ultimately the idea we're driving home is justice for who, and giving the team opportunities to always question whether or not is the solution that they have, or is the, the way they're fighting for, you know, against whatever the adversary is, are we actually fighting for the right thing and for the right people, and making sure that everybody is 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 coming out ahead as best as possible yeah and represented absolutely in that, yeah in that thing that's no and that's that's one of the things that comes across really well and also just in you know ollie and dinah's conversation about like clark's you know coming out to the world and telling everybody mm -hmm. who he is and all that stuff there's some really uh, that was one of the things i actually really enjoyed about the issues is, is playing with that and that's why i'm interested to see how that gets that topic gets spun moving forward um as far as the as grifter look we all have those characters right <laughs> I mean, everyone makes fun of me right it's like dark hawk 
for Marvel Dude, and Dark Hawk's awesome. Dark Hawk. Oh my god, I found there's like two of us at Comic <laughs> I've gotten. I mean, like I, I, I've been on panels. And they've asked like, if you could draw anybody, who would you draw? And I would say Dark Hawk, and everyone would laugh. And like, and I'm not joking. Dude, uh, Dark Hawk's awesome. Chris Powell, man, my boy. Yeah. Oh my God, this I'm so happy. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so, so <laughs> there's happy. two of us. <laughs> yes, there's a Marvel legend of Dark Hawk somewhere back here. Um, and uh, you know, for for DC, it's always like, uh, you know, Zatanna's one, Detective Chimp. I would stick to oh, yeah, yeah. Chimp in everything. Uh, if you I could, sir, but I'm going agree. to love Rom's book. I, well, I was gonna say yeah. I agree because like Justice League Dark has been like even like the Future State stuff and everything's been excellent. So, yeah. you know, I'm excited for that. And I'm also excited that it's in, for those who don't know, uh, who are watching this, uh, you can actually see Justice League Dark in Justice League and they share a, a story. So that's great. Like, that's cool that they're, you know, back to back in the same issue, which is awesome. Totally. Um, so, yeah, so I, but I understand the grifter thing. I will shoehorn this <laughs> in. Somewhere Jim is rolling his eyes because I talked about Hog Girl already. Um, yeah. You know, um, you one of the things we talked about a little bit was like, you know, the villains. And of course, while um, justice and things, there's kind of a greater theme, there is a villain and there is someone that will actually pose a threat to the team. And that's always difficult, but we have one here at Brutus. Um, you know, what do you think will surprise fans most about this character? And will there, is, is he the central villain of the series are there other ones to come like what i guess is the approach there is this kind of a long-term story with this character so uh he is you know the big bad for the opening arc for sure um i think what i can say that's not gonna be a spoiler so <sighs> he has a connection to naomi i can say that and the reason why he has he um the reason why he does what he does in the first issue that then kind of kicks off the, the entire first arc, we were kind of revealing bits and pieces kind of as we get further into, into the, into the arc. And for somebody who does, you know, some pretty, or tries to do some pretty atrocious things throughout the first arc, similar to black Adam at a certain point, you start to understand why he's doing it. And it starts raising questions about how far away from becoming someone like him any of the superheroes on the dcu main earth are um it, it holds a mirror up to them to a certain degree and so uh, as for what's surprising i'm not sure how, how to answer what's surprising about him but there is more depth than initially appears i mean the dude sounds like just like a a, a, a dumb bruiser uh in in the first issue but there's a lot more depth to why he's doing what he's doing than, than that meets the eye so uh hopefully by the end of the first arc everyone will see the questions the justly are asking themselves maybe the readers will ask themselves some questions too yeah and he's got he is he does come off as you know a, a i mean lives up to his name he comes up a yeah. little bit of a brute. <laughs> a brute yeah uh but he does have a little you know and god i'm gonna get so much he has a little swag all right he has yeah. a little he has a little, you know, just a little Stocky, bit, like yeah. he's a little different in that, like it comes across, which is, which is nice. Uh, I, I like that. You know, we talked um, a little bit about, you know, why Wonder Woman uh, is not, you know, Diana is mm. not part of this. And, and obviously people who have read uh, Death Metal 
and kind of the end of future state you know will understand like why and she's kind of on this other thing um but you know hippolyta is it's such a unique choice especially coming out of future state because you know we have nubia and we have yara and we have like there's so many now that like this wonder woman side of the universe is as full as it's ever been you know mm. was there was there talk of like using one of those kind of newer characters to have as the quote unquote wonder woman of this book and because you guys went with apollo what does she bring to the table because it's such a unique choice for this team yeah i mean we, we definitely had conversations about you know like there there there's a a, a themiscira sized hole in the team and how or amazon you know uh, really uh, hole in the team and how can we address <laughs> that and one thing we were kind of sensitive to or at least it, it came up in the conversation was um one of the things that's really cool about the dcu is just all of the legacy characters that have taken on various mantles throughout the history of, of, of dcu you know it's happened with batman it's happened with green lantern go to go on down the list and then almost every major hero at some point has had one of their you know psychics or another legacy character you know take on that role and i think it's really cool what uh is being done with all of kind of like the, the 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 breadth and depth of the Amazonian characters in the DCU, um, but I think it's it's interesting to have not have the legacy character be the one that takes the role in this opening arc, um, because for those you know readers who who haven't been keeping up with what's going on with with Diana, uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but. If you have questions, other people in the DCU have questions, and her mother has a question about what about what's going on, and that is a that that's a different kind of interaction than well, Wonder well, you know the, uh, Diana is gone. Who's Wonder Woman now? You're on the team, as opposed to Wonder Woman's mother coming in, actually being she's a character that that to my knowledge, and I'm sure people who have read the books more than I have will, will have. We can point out how I'm wrong about about this, but she's not a character that's played a ton of but spent a, a ton of time in you know, man's world in, in, in the modern world outside of, of, of Themyscira or, or uh, Amazon Island or whatever the proper, the proper name for it is. Um, and this is something that finally brings her out and forces her to engage with the world. Um, again, think about this question of, well, you know, justice for whom she comes in wondering if, if justice for Diana is, is one of these things that needs to be addressed. Um, so, we want all of the characters to be there for a reason. And her reason for being there is tied directly into the fact that Wonder Woman has been such a core part of the team for so long and now she's not. And she comes kind of demanding some answers. So um, it's, yeah. uh, I'm not saying that, you know, therefore there will never be another, you know, Wonder Woman taking on the, the role in the Justice League. But for this opening arc, that's a really interesting story one to kind of take a look at. No, for sure. Like that's that's one of the most interesting parts of this, um, you know. And and this particular issue, you know, we don't get to dive into that because, of course, we're setting up some other things. We're setting right, up right. and things like that. But that reveal was one of the most like, huh? <laughs> that was like the that was kind of the reaction. I was like, oh, okay, I can. She's also a character that you know, not a whole lot has been done with her recently, you know. And so it was an Absolutely. opportunity to kind of flesh her out and 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 and. She offers a, a a different perspective and a contrast to what I mean. You know, Diana's always been like the ambassador to mm -hmm. to the rest of the world, and 
Um, Hippolyta plays a, has a slightly different attitude about it. And again, in the first issue, she, uh, she doesn't play a huge role. She really kind of comes in with issue two um, um, and, and, and moving forward or 60. I, got, I think of them one, two, three, four, but 59, 60, 61. Um, but as we get further into the arc, her role becomes more manifest and um, her perspective gets, gets voiced more loudly. Um, so it's, it's, it, it's a different relationship, you know, she's, it's interesting that as much of a, of a, of a uh, point of contention Black Adam joining the team is, she's the one who really kind of comes at adversarial compared to any other character. Black Adam isn't necessarily there in as much of an adversarial role as people might expect. Um, she comes in wanting to wreck house and uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I mean, so. I feel like that's a very typical parent reaction. Oh yeah. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. Like that's very much like if, if my child was like, well, where is she? Like, what's what's happening? Yeah, I would be knocking people's doors down. So yeah, sure, man. Uh, oh, oh, I also have two young children, and um, I I, I agree entirely. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with her. Um, you know, so I one thank you so much for this time and talking yeah. about the book. This has been great. Uh, you know, one parting thing because you did create a new villain, and yes. you know, uh, it's it's one of those things. It's one, it's got to be cool to create a new character that is just like hey like that's my that's my stamp you know what i mean like oh, yeah. it's got to be cool um so dc we're about to have uh the snyderverse take over things on hbo max like the the movie universe there's a bunch of sequels coming right so the dc movie universe is not going anywhere and if they bring brutus into a movie who do you want to voice him oh man Oh man. I feel um, like it's you created him. So it's only fitting you get to choose who voices the character. Seth Rogen. Oh my god. <laughs> Either him or John Cena, one of the two. Please let that happen. Oh my god. We will make the pitch here. We will make the the pitch Excellent. here. Seth Rogen. Uh, I just love though also those two choices cuz they couldn't be more different <laughs> they couldn't be more i'm more i mean honestly, this, rogan thinks clearly a joke but <laughs> i'm kind of into it not thinking about it, i'm kind of into right? it. right i mean pumba was like mad <laughs> pumba it'd be great that's he's awesome but yeah i mean cena i think would be that could that's be that could be cool. swagger yeah that's that's be awesome oh man okay so that's a perfect place uh to end this of course uh if you want to check out the whole issue which i definitely recommend you should uh it comes out in comic book stores and on digital platforms this wednesday uh and you can check out all of marquez's work on comiXology also definitely check out batman superman because that was great as well and uh i definitely appreciate all the time thank you so much it's a blast man thank you so much okay matt you did a great job, buddy. Great interview. You're muted, buddy. About you Dark know, Hawk. Dark Hawk. Oh, that's what you come back in with? Okay. <laughs> great ending. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. We want to thank our guests, Joe Manganello for popping by, David Marquez for sitting down with us. We want to thank all of you for tuning in and sharing with us. This has been our biggest, best show ever. If you guys like what you see, we have another. We have a lot of new people watching today. Please follow us on Twitch. We put up new episodes every Wednesday at 12 noon Eastern on Twitch Live. If you don't have Twitch, we're on Facebook Live. We're on YouTube Live. Or if you miss the show live, you can always find it. Episodes Wednesdays posted on comicbook.com. 
If you want to follow the show, we're on your favorite podcast platforms. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Google Playlists. You can also tell your smart home devices to fire up Comic Book Nation Podcasts, and uh, they'll get it going for you automatically. Thank you guys again. Thank you to all our guests once again. We will see you guys next time. This is Comic And follow us, too. Follow Kofi, follow Matt, and a big, can I just say one more thing? Can we please just say so much love to Jim Viscardi, the one and only, for getting us. No. Yeah, 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 shut, <laughs> no, shut this down. We're done, we're done. All right, Comic Book Nation, we'll be back. Thanks, guys.